Good morning, Generations Church. Um, as you can see, uh, still in self-quarantine, uh, just add precaution, we're, we're being careful. Um, I'm still feeling good, still feeling asymptomatic, and so just kind of waiting patiently till I can uh, be with you all in person. But I uh, just want to thank you for um, just your, your prayers. And I know we're not alone. There's many people who uh, are going through the same things we are. Uh, we're having to quarantine or whether it's exposure or testing positive. And so um, I know we're not all alone and we're praying for each other. And so uh, that's really just the great thing about our, our church family. We can pray for each other, be there for each other. And so... And, uh, you know, praise God for technology. We can still have service. We can still worship together. I can still share the word with you all from, from here. And so uh, we just we just praise God. And, you know, just like we saw last week in last week's message, uh, when the heat comes, we're not going to fear. And when in times of drought, we're not going to be anxious. And right now, while things aren't going exactly how we would want to or they're unexpected, uh, we're not going to be afraid. We're not going to fear. We're not going to be anxious, but we're going to trust in the Lord and know that uh, as we abide in him and he's going to be faithful to us and he's going to just continue to work in us and through us. And and so uh, we just want to, you know, just continue to look to him. And uh, in the meantime, we're going to still worship and, and share the word together. Right. So uh, anyways, why don't we bow our heads and let's um, let's get into the word. Father God, we just thank you so much that, Lord, you are always constant. You are there, Lord. And even in difficult times, trying times, uncertain times, Lord, you are faithful, you are good. And Father, we can always look to you. And we just thank you for that. And Lord, I just pray as we go through this season, uh, people are getting sick and they, they're... they're uh, catching the virus or they're or they're not and they're in there's a, a lot of worry lord help us to just uh remember to focus on you to to trust in you and and that lord may you guard and protect us and watch over us lord god individually as a family and as a church family lord uh, we just turn to you and we ask for your hand over us lord. father i pray as we get into your word may you speak to us we pray your spirit will move in us, Lord. And Father, may we may our, our eyes be fixed on you. Lord, we give you this time, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Uh, now, one of my, I think I've shared this before, one of my favorite things to do is watch movies. And one of my favorite series of movies or sets of movies is based on Tolkien's uh, book, Lord of the Rings. I don't know how many of you have watched Lord of the Rings. It's kind of... I didn't realize how dated it is right now, but uh, hopefully you've all seen it. Um, this set of movies is based on a journey, a journey to defeat the enemy. And so uh, this it's a three-part series. It's a trilogy, a set of movies, and it's a, these sets of movies is a tale of adventure, of action, of drama. And if you've watched the movies, they're just scenes after scenes and, and just action-packed. And, and you meet all these interesting characters. Um, but with all the stuff that's going on in all these movies, there's a single focus. A single focus of the storyline. And that is, it's a journey to defeat the evil enemy. And the way to do it is by destroying 
the, the ring of power. Now you may think, if you haven't seen it yet, that sounds a little weird. Trust me, it's a great set of movies. I encourage you to watch it. But um, this journey is, is action-packed in, in this set of movies. And um, it reminds me of that, you know, we're going to start a new series this year, a new study of the book of Mark. And I'm, I'm really excited to start this series because it seems like it's been a while since I've focused on the ministry of the life of Jesus in, in, in the Gospels. And so I'm really excited to kind of get back into the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus. Uh, but the title of our study in Mark is Journey of Faith and Service. Journey of Faith and Service. And this journey is Jesus's journey. And along this journey, we're going to see moments of faith experienced by these different people that Jesus encounters. And we'll see service. Jesus serving, ministering to the multitudes of people as he completes his journey. This journey to the cross. Now at some point, I really believe that we're... All of us is going to be able to identify with at least one, if not every person Jesus encounters along the way. We'll be able to identify with them in some way, or some form. And uh, so I hope that in our time in Mark, as we go through this study in Mark, we'll gain a better understanding and appreciation of who Jesus is, the message and impact of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then to strengthen our faith and trust in Jesus. So I'm hoping that through that time we'll be able to uh, experience and, and get a, a better understanding and appreciation of who Jesus is, the message of the gospel of Christ, and strengthen our trust and faith in him. Now in today's message it's titled Preparing the Way. Now why is it called Preparing the Way? We're going to see that Preparing the way will refer to the immediate mission of John the Baptist. We're going to see that John the Baptist was preparing the way for Jesus' ministry, for Jesus to come onto the scene. But in another way, preparing the way refers to the, the general purpose of Mark's writing, to speak of the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Prepare people's eyes and ears to, to understand how the way or the beginning of the, the gospel of Christ began. So just we're gonna, as we get into Mark, just give you a little bit of background on Mark. Mark is believed to be a companion of the apostle Peter. He's believed to be the cousin of Barnabas. And he was also a companion and co-worker of the apostle Paul as well. Now, what makes Mark's gospel different or unique from the others? Um, it's widely believed that Mark's gospel was written to a, a Gentile audience, um, particularly possibly a Roman audience. Um, it was many are believed that Mark's account was one of the first, if not the first, gospels to be written somewhere in their 50s to early 60s AD, depending upon. Uh, where they place it, whether it was written before Peter died or was martyred or, or after the apostle Peter was martyred. Um, Mark's, Mark's gospel is believed to be the eyewitness account of Peter himself because Mark was a, 
companion of Peter. And so it will be an interesting look to see if this is like, see the through the eyes of the Apostle Peter, Jesus's ministry. Okay, so as we go, I think we're going to find that as we journey through Mark, it's going to be an action-filled, kind of like a movie, of an action-filled movie, similar to Lord of the Rings, in that there's scene after scene after scene, action, 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 and we're going to encounter interesting characters and interesting situations, but it's going to be a, a lot of dramatic moments, but hopefully I think we'll, we'll gain an appreciation of the ministry and journey of Jesus. So let's get into it. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 1. And of course, we're going to pick it up in verse 1. Verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching and saying, After me one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now here we see in verse 1, Mark starts it off by saying, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So from the start, we have this introductory statement by Mark. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if you remember, if you were with us back when we were uh, before Christmas, we looked at a passage in Luke uh, leading up to the birth story. Luke started his gospel account with a statement saying that, I write to you to give you an account of, of why we believe, of what you've been taught. And so we see that the Gospels were written, the authors wrote these Gospels with this sense of eyewitness testimony in mind. This is the testimony of Jesus. This is the testimony of his ministry, who he is, what he taught, and what he did. And so, of course, the follow-up question, if we take this in the context of these Gospels are these eyewitness testimonies, the follow-up question will be for you to answer, do I believe? Do I believe this account? They wrote with an eyewitness testimony perspective in mind. And for you, after hearing it, will you say, I believe? I hope so. I hope by the end of the our, our journey, if not throughout our journey, you'll be able to say, I believe in Jesus. I believe in what he, who he is and what he's done and what he taught. So Mark clearly, here and he starts his gospel and he, declare, he declares Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And this will be a theme in Mark. Want to make sure they declare who Jesus is. He is the Christ. 
He is the Son of God. In verse 2, he says, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now Mark begins by referencing a combination of two Old Testament passages from the prophets Micah and Isaiah. And by doing this, Mark makes a profound statement about who Jesus is, his identity. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Isaiah 40, starting verse 3, a voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. So we're going to see that Mark brings these passages and starts it off because John the Baptist will fulfill this messenger role represented in these two passages where God will send a messenger to be a forerunner, a forerunner before him. Now, what is he a forerunner for? What is going to happen? Well, we see in Malachi, God declares he will send his messenger to clear the way before him. The Lord is coming to his temple, and we'll see the glory of the Lord. And so we see that Malachi presents this picture. And we're going to see it, we see it also in Isaiah chapter 40, right, where this messenger is going to clear the way for the Lord, the coming of the Lord. Pick it up in verse 4 of Isaiah 40. He says, he continues and says, let every valley be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low, and let the rough ground become a plain, and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Verse 5, Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. See, so we see the voice calling in the wilderness is clearing the way for the Lord. The glory of the Lord will be revealed, as it, is, as it says in verse 5. Let's skip to verse 9. It says, Go yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up. Do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, Here is your God. So we continue. We see this declaration of the coming of God. Now look at this description. I, I love this. In verse 10, Behold, the Lord God will come with might with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. You remember how God valued the role of shepherds when we looked at that uh, the birth story, Jesus' birth story, how God chose shepherds to reveal this good news that Jesus was born. Now here we see God refers to himself as the shepherd who will tend his flock, who will gather his lambs. Verse 25, To whom then will you liken me that I, shall, I should be his equal, says the Holy One? 
Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth from leads forth their host by number. He calls them all by name because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one of them is missing. Verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Now, I love the scripture. I included this passage because I love the description of God's character here. I love how it describes, how, how God describes himself. I love that we see his character and who he can be to those who believe in him. Notice what it says in this passage in verse 25. God has no equal. He is the Holy One. Verse 27, nothing is hidden from God. He is the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow tired or weary. He gives strength to the weary and the tired. I love this. Those who wait on the Lord, those who wait with hopeful expectation will gain new strength. They will soar like eagles, run and not grow weary. Now, I don't know, uh, have you ever seen an eagle fly? When I was younger, an eagle used to be my favorite animal. Because when you saw it fly, it was just so effortless. Some birds are just flapping like crazy, right? You know, it looks like a lot of effort. But the eagle, there's just something majestic about an eagle. It just soars through the sky, right? Maybe one flap or something. And it's just soaring through the sky. I love that picture. And I love how it says, those who wait on the Lord will gain new strength, will mount up with wings like eagles. We saw last week in last week's passage in Psalms 1 and Jeremiah 17, those who delight in the word of the Lord, the instruction of the Lord, those who trust in the Lord will be like trees planted by the waters. They'll never wither, never cease to produce fruit. When the heat comes, there's no fear. There's no anxiety in times of drought. Those who wait upon the Lord, who place their hope in the Lord, who delights in the instruction of the Lord, will have renewed strength, will not grow weary. How many of you would love to say that you are soaring through 2022? Wouldn't we love to be able to say that? That throughout this year, we're just flying. We're just soaring through this year. That while we're, we're, we're running, 
We're going through stuff. We're not growing tired and weary. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing to be able to say throughout this year, to be able to experience? But this is our God. This is how God is revealing himself to us. This is who he is. And this is the picture. The messenger is declaring, saying, come, you know, making the way for the coming of the Lord. And this is our God. And when you look at these passages in Malachi and Isaiah and why Mark brings it in, he's making a very significant statement. Not just about who John the Baptist is as the messenger, but who Jesus is. Because in these two passages, the messenger is preparing for the way of the Lord, the coming of the Lord. And here Mark, when he brings this up, he's setting the stage. Not only for John the Baptist's role, but who's coming behind him or literally coming after him. Let's go on and mark back to Mark in verse 4. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him and all the people of Jerusalem. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist. And his diet was locusts and wild honey. Now some consider John the Baptist the last of the Old Testament prophets. Now, what do I mean by that? Uh, he takes on a familiar role of the prophets of the Old Testament, right? These prophetic voices were leading up to Jesus. Now, oftentimes when people think of prophets, all they think of, they kind of simply think of foretelling of future events, right? Saying what's going to happen. However, if you look at the, the, the prophets, much of their story, much of their message was about a call for repentance, right? They're calling out the people and saying, hey, you need to correct yourselves, right? You're in this sin and you, got, you need to come to, back to God. You need to repent of your sins. They warned God's people. And in some cases with Jonah, as we saw in the book of Jonah a couple of weeks ago with Pastor Andy's message, how Jonah was sent to the other nations to repent, right? Repent of their sins, and call back, come back to the Lord. So John very much kind of resembles this picture of an Old Testament prophet and that he's calling the people out to repent of their sins. Now, what was John's message? And appropriately, right? The beginning of the story of the gospel of Jesus. Here, Mark sets out the beginning of the gospel and he starts off with John the Baptist's message. And what was his message? Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. I was at a church, and uh, it was about a month into my time there. And uh, I don't know about you, but I can tell when someone is not my biggest fan. Right? I don't know if you can tell, but I can tell when someone is really not a big fan of me. Right? It happens, right? Well, uh, I don't know what it was. Uh, what I could tell, you know, why I could tell it, but perhaps it was, you know, the lack of smile when they saw me, right? You know, they didn't smile when they saw me. It kind of gave me a squint or a, a kind of like a, a certain look, right? So you can kind of tell that uh, they're, they're, they're not really a fan of you. Um, well, I had my suspicions confirmed one time. Um, I, I was with this person in one of the rooms and doing something and no one else was around and 
And this out of the blue, this person says to me, um, you know, why don't you speak up something happy? You're always talking about sin and, and all this negative stuff. Why don't you say something happy? Now, besides the immediate shock that I had of someone would actually say that to the new pastor, um, I had a pause for a second. I took me off guard and I thought, sin? What have I been saying, right? And I had to rack my brain about, like, I had to think back. And, you know, I, I was like, what, maybe four messages in. And I wasn't even talking about sin. I looked back and, and I mentioned sin specifically like one time in one message of four messages. So I'm thinking, you know, why would this person say that, right? Well, I don't know about you, but um, ever get go anywhere and you're, you, you went somewhere and then you went back home or whatever it was and, and you noticed you found out your zipper was down. No one told you your zipper was down. I don't know if you ever experienced that. Have you ever experienced where you went out of the house and you had hat hair, but you didn't bring your hat with you? And no one warned you that you had hat hair when you walked out the door and you went somewhere and you came back and came back home and you realized, oh man, I looked like this, right? Um, I don't know if you've ever uh, had something in your eyes or in your nose and, and no one told you about it and you went and you looked in the mirror and you're like, oh my goodness, I had this in my, on my face, right? I don't know if you've ever been sick or ever have a doctor tell you you're not sick at all when you know you're not feeling well. None of these are very good scenarios, right? But the fact is, people are offended by the gospel. Why are people offended by the gospel? I think people's hearts grow hardened to the gospel because they don't want to be confronted with the need for change. People are offended by the gospel because they're confronted with changes that they don't want to make. They don't want to be told that this is wrong. What I'm doing is wrong. How I'm feeling is wrong. How I'm thinking is wrong. It challenges their understanding of who they are, their identity, right? They don't understand the grave effects of sin. As you saw last week, people's hearts turn away from the Lord the more they trust themselves more they, they, put, they place their trust in, in people, and their hearts grow cold. The fact is, we need to know when there is something wrong, right? We need to know when something in our life is not right. We often need somebody to be able to tell us, hey, this is wrong. This isn't right. Without us being told, without someone telling us, that something's not right, we will get a distorted view of what is healthy, right? What is unhealthy, what is good, what is evil, what is right, what is wrong. If we don't have anyone to tell us those things, we're not going to know. So a lot of people are offended by the message of the gospel because the message of the gospel starts with the saying, hey, there is something wrong. There's a need for change. You can't have repentance if you do not seek forgiveness, right? 
You cannot have forgiveness without confession. You cannot have confession unless you understand something is wrong. Have you ever tried to have your kid try to tell you, hey, you need to confess something is wrong? And in their minds, they don't know what's wrong. So do you want them to apologize for something that they don't understand is wrong? We cannot see something as a wrong unless we have someone to show us and tell us, hey, this isn't right. This isn't healthy. This isn't good. I think today we see a plenty of, of, of preaching and, and teaching and, and preachers appealing to people's egos. Right? And this is nothing new, but they want to give nice, uplifting words of encouragement and self-affirmation. And they often avoid the root of what's of so many problems. And it's that sin inside. Too many times pastors feel like they have to be motivational speakers and not preachers of the gospel, boldly declaring God's word. See, we can't experience, we can't receive the goodness of God before dealing with the sin problem that we've had, we have. And this is why Jesus sets off that journey, that journey to the cross, to deal with that sin problem that we all have. Now, some, some may think, as, as this person that confronted me, some may think, well, you know, you talk too much about sin. Sin, sin, sin. Why are you talking about sin so much? It's going to drive people away. A lot of people fear that. You talk too much about sin, people are not going to want to come to church. They're not going to want to sit in the pews. They want to hear something encouraging, right? Look what happened with John, verse 5. And all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. The people recognized their need to confess their sins. The word got out throughout Judea and Jerusalem, and they went down to the Jordan River. See, when you're sick and you feel the symptoms, you want to get better, right? I don't know if you're sick right now. You're, you're hoping to get better. When you feel pain, you want relief. When you're lost, you want direction. And when you feel hopeless, you want assurance that there's something more to live for. And see, I'm afraid that the lost, the hurt, the lonely, those who are ravaged by their sin, they believe that there's nothing else out there that can help them. There's people out there who don't know what the problem is. And they feel like, what is out there? Who is out there who can help me? We get so concerned about offending people that we neglect to display the hope we have in Christ. Here, John the Baptist was preaching this message that, look, you need to confess your sins. You need to turn away from whatever you're doing. And the people came out to hear John because they were convicted of their sin, that they needed forgiveness. And they wanted to be baptized. And this wasn't an easy thing for people, right? Jerusalem was about, you know, 20 miles away, about 400, or I'm sorry, 4,000 feet above the Jordan River, right? It wasn't just like they can get in the car and drive 
a couple of cities down to the next Harvest Crusade and sit down comfortably in Anaheim Stadium or something, right? They had to make the concerted effort to get out of the way to hear who is this person, what is he saying, and then they were convicted in their hearts. And he was preaching and saying, After me is coming one who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thongs of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The baptism of John, what did it mean? He was calling him to recognize the need to be clean. The need to be clean. We're going to look more at John's baptism compared to what we're going to see next with Jesus' baptism next week. But John's baptism is significant, and it was significant for the early church. Peter referenced John's ministry as the beginning point in Acts 1.22, and then in 10, chapter 10, verse 37. It was the standard when, when the, the apostles were, were finding someone to replace Judas as an apostle. One of the criteria that Peter mentioned is that it had to be someone who was a witness with them from John's baptism to the resurrection and ascension. So even in their minds at the time, the beginning of the story of the gospel started with John's baptism because he was making the way for Jesus. So John's message carried a lot of weight for the early church. Even if you know the book of Acts, Apollos, he had to be taught a complete gospel because he only knew of John's baptism of repentance. When Paul traveled into Ephesus, he came upon believers of Jesus, but they had an incomplete understanding because all they heard about was the baptism of John. They didn't know of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We see that in Acts 18 and 19. So next week, we're going to look more at the significance of John's baptism and Jesus getting baptized and what it means and the promise of the Holy Spirit to come. But well, I want us to kind of set the stage with this and, and what happened with John and John the Baptist's message. His message, his ministry was preparing the hearts of the people to receive their Messiah, their Savior. We're often in a similar place or similar role for others. We're placed in a position to prepare people's hearts to be confronted with their sin, to be confronted with their needs for Jesus. The Lord may put you in a position, he may, be, he may be putting you in a position now to be that person, to help set a person's heart ready to receive the Lord, to be confronted with their sin. If we want to branch out, as we saw last week in our theme for this year, branch out and grow as a church and reach others for Christ, we need to present to the lost what it means to live a new life and be forgiven. This is the beginning of the message of the gospel. It can't be skipped. It can't be ignored. It can't be denied. We have to be willing to confront the need to deal with our sin, to turn away from our sin, to ask for forgiveness of our sin. That we no longer have to carry the weight and burden of being perfect on our own, 
of always trying to be good enough, the weight of sin, the burden of guilt that we carry, we no longer have to be controlled by sin. That's the beginning of the message of the gospel. Jesus came to deal with those things so that you can be forgiven, so that you can repent and turn away from those things. Maybe you're listening to this and you've yet to come to a place of confession. You've heard of Jesus. You're wrestling with believing in Jesus. But you're, you're just not at that place where you can let go of sin. You haven't come to that place in your heart where you can say, I need to change. I need to come and be clean. This is the message of the gospel. That God is calling you to repent. Turn away from those things. Do not be far from me anymore. Come to me. Ask for forgiveness and you will receive forgiveness of your sin. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord Jesus, before we can ever receive and understand and experience how great of a God you are, to be able to appreciate what you've done for us. Lord, we need to come to that place where we can say, Lord, I need forgiveness of my sin. I need to come, I need to turn away from those things that have hindered me, that have weighed me down, and I need to seek you. I need to come to you, Jesus. Lord, if there's anyone who's at that place who needs to come to repentance, I pray that you speak to their hearts and let them know you are waiting for them to come and be made clean, that they would confess their sin before you, and that you would forgive them of their sin. Lord, I pray that you would continue to speak to our hearts we thank you for the good news of the hope that you have for us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.